You're listening to the More on Manufacturing podcast, where we talk about improving the value and operation of your business. Join Mike, Kevin, and the occasional guest for the latest on sales optimization, operational leadership, cash flow management, lean strategies, preparing for the sale of your company, business intelligence, and much more. Hi, I'm Mike Sibley, leader of the James Moore Manufacturing Team. Today, we're joined once again by Ed Marsh. Ed is a business management consultant who has founded and operated several businesses and is the as a principal of Concilium Global Business Advisors. He assists lower middle market industrial manufacturers with strategy and uh, revenue growth. Uh, one of the drivers to increase the value of a business is not only revenue and revenue growth, but having a top sales team that delivers results, a diversified customer base, and and as always, and we talk about this a lot, is having strong processes and methodologies, not only for operations and other parts of the, the business, but also for the sales team. And that's that's uh, something we're going to discuss today is building a second or third stand, standard deviation sales team, which, um, and what that even means. Uh, I, I was, you know, it was, it was something new to me. I, I haven't actually seen something put that way before, like that with a sales team, but I, I can't wait to get in that conversation. So Ed, Thanks. Uh, welcome back to the show and uh, glad to have you on here. Well, thanks for having me back again, Mike. I mean, it's uh, I think this is a really fun topic to talk about at this time of year as we uh, kind of in Q4, people are planning for next year. And this is a great time to think about this is a big project and it's not something you just do. OK, next week. Uh, but it's a good a good a good, uh, I think, target for 2024 for companies. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I know companies are, are, are planning for next year, budgeting thinking about strategy, putting all those pieces in the place. So yeah, perfect time for that. And so, you know, diving in, there's there's a lot to to unfold here. And, and you know, as, as you and I were discussing, we may not even be able to touch it all uh, just because there's so much, but we'll do our best to, to kind of make some difference here. But let's, let's even, let's just start, let's get, jump right off the bat. What does it mean a second or third standard deviation sales team? Well, I'll quickly, I'll drive my headlights in terms of statistics, but I mean, this is relatively simple. We all know what the bell curve looks like. There's average and most of us in most areas of our lives are in the middle. I mean, that's the nature. That's the, that's, that's kind of the human condition. Um, so typically 68% of, of anyone in any area is within one standard deviation, kind of within that main distribution of the bell curve. Within uh, 95% are within two standard deviations and 99.7% within three standard deviations. So if you picture that bell curve with better being on, on the right-hand side, as I look at it, left, I guess, for you, as you taper out toward the side, that's where you get that second and third standard deviation. So in other words, we're talking about top 5%, maybe even top 0.3%. So this isn't just kind of better than average. It's not good. It's, 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 it's excellent. It's superb. It's a really careful way to look at how we can get the right kind of talent. You know, another way to think about it is if you think of it in terms of a maturity model where, okay, we've got a good sales team. They've gotten us where we are, but we used to have good manufacturing and then we decided we want a great manufacturing. So we put all these pieces in place, including, um, you know, the ideas of continuous improvement and identifying problems and then finding the root causes and then engineering the process to, uh, to address the root cause and, to avoid rather than just detect mistakes going forward. And so we can, I believe, take that same mentality and apply it to sales. And sales, 
you know, it tends to be thought of as a black box and it's people and people are unpredictable and all of that. But if we want to optimize our sales team and performance, then we have to, we really have to agree that we're going to begin to measure and we're going to use tools to detect the root causes of, of sales problems and frustrations. We're going to improve the process. We're going to do those things that helped us in manufacturing and production and operations, and we're going to apply them to sales. So, you know, I'd say most companies that I see have a current team that's okay. I mean, it's average. It's in the middle. There's some top performers, there's some bottom performers, but it's average. The point is it could be better. And so how can we optimize the current team? And what steps can we take? What tools can we use? What process can we incorporate so that the future team, if we think of this maturity model and continuous improvement, say, what's our sales team look, you know, two or three years out? What can we begin to do today so that we've got that second or third standard deviation team in, in composition and performance when we get to that point some, some you know, a few years in the future? Well, you know, you know it's kind of funny. And, and, and that, you know, I, I think of uh, what is, you know, the good to great, those books, that, you know, good is the enemy of great and, right. and those kind of things. And I think sometimes, you know, perhaps, you know, owners or CEOs may not necessarily understand what's going on in the sales process. They see sales going up. So that must be a good thing, but there's more to sales than just sales, right? That's, that's the right type of customer, the profitability, the, the diversification, you know, all of those different things that fall sure. into it. So why do companies not treat the sales department or the sales team like other departments? Cause you always see focuses on improving, uh, you know, everything from, uh, the finance department to the operations department. I don't see as much necessarily on the sales when, when those sales departments, when those discussions are happening. And it's a great question and I don't have a good answer for it. The, the best that I've come up with, with lots of conversations and lots of companies and watching this movie play out many times before is that um, it's just what's assumed as the way it's been. And it's actually not dissimilar to the attitude about manufacturing quality 20 years ago. People just kind of assumed that there was a stasis and that was the way it was. And only after getting poked and prodded and a lot of competitive pressure and and, and buyer um, expectations, did they evolve? And so I think it's kind of a similar situation with sales. Often executives have come through that function. So they think, geez, I did well. We had this system. It's gotten us where we are. It's probably okay. And, <clears throat> you know, they may not be up for the change management that's involved in challenging some of it. And some of these privately held, closely held companies, it could be the brother-in-law who's been there for 30 years who's a VP of sales. And that can make for an uncomfortable Thanksgiving, you know, if you start to poke, poke too hard at that bear. Yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely seen that before. And I've actually seen some of the family dynamics in, in companies where they start butting heads and then they just kind of agree to do their own thing and whatever happens, happens. And so, right. yeah, that, that point definitely uh, sticks home. So, you know, when, when you're, when you're talking to your manufacturing clients and you're, and you're working with others, um, what are the kind of, kind of some of the common problems or symptoms? You know, if I'm a CEO of a manufacturing company, I've got my sales team, whatever size that is, right. uh, however, that's, what are some of the things I, I, I might see as a symptom of saying, wait a second, maybe may my team isn't that second or third standard deviation team that, you know, maybe I thought they were, I mean, I thought they were doing a good job, but maybe they're just doing an okay job. 
Yeah, I think there are several of them. We can kind of run through a quick list. The interesting thing is that people just, again, accept them. Well, that's the nature of the beast. That's the way sales is. That's the way it is working with prospects and customers. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Common things that you'll often hear about discounting. I mean, how many times when companies go through a long sales cycle, get to the end of the sales process, then does somebody come back and say, okay, we want to do business with you, but we want a 17% discount. And, and salespeople freeze and they tend to comply and often companies get frustrated and they say, geez, we got to do something about this discounting problem. So they get negotiation training, but negotiation training doesn't go back and fix the root cause of the problem. Uh, other symptoms that you often see, often there's, there's a particular competitor that a company frequently loses deals to. There's a huge trend that I've seen over the last few years of more and more deals that just fade into no decision. They're not lost but they're not one and they just stay in the forecast, you know, always going to close next quarter. And in the end, the prospect isn't doing anything because they can't overcome some of the, some of the uh, kind of risk aversion on their end. Inaccurate forecasts drive every manufacturing firm that I know crazy. And in fact, they've got in many cases, CRMs that have built in reports and, and somebody ignores that report and they've got this complex process with word documents to tell a narrative and spreadsheets to actually recast the forecast instead of just having it accurate in the CRM so everyone sees the data consistently. And it takes a huge amount of time and, 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 it, and it causes friction often between production and planning folks and the sales folks. And, and it becomes almost a joke. And that's a shame. Um, I think every company I talk to says we wish we had more projects. Every company I talk to says that we wish we had more meetings. I often hear them talking about how the sales cycle is too long. I'm sure you've got some that, that, that you've heard frequently. Uh, I'd love to hear what you hear from your clients. Those are common ones that I hear. Yeah, I think, you know, some some of it is you you have right on with the whole pricing thing and how to how to deal with that. That's that's one of the top ones. You know, a lot of times it's they may not even realize what they're working on. So you've got this potential, you know, what does the pipeline even look like and what's your close rates and and then, you know, sort of things just kind of fade off. And like you said, maybe, maybe you, you're, you know, you mentioned it pushing off, but they just literally fade away and, and go nowhere in it. And it's one of those things that, and then it's just the right time type of customer. So there's those relationships aren't as strong as they should be. So you get an order and it's great that goes to the customer, a customer never pays, right. or you've got to follow up and follow up and, and you have those kind of difficulties there. So I, I think to some degree, uh, at some companies, you just see some of the just lack of accountability on what they're supposed to produce, what they are producing, how they're doing it. Also, you know, just again, kind of the right kind of projects that make sense for the yeah. manufacturing operation. For sure. Defining the ICP, the ideal customer profile, defining the sales process. Many companies call their sales process. We get an inquiry, we do a quote, and then we hope to close it as opposed to a real kind of um, classic professional tactical sales process. Often they don't have a good target account strategy. They may not have a, a, a formal adopted sales methodology. So all of these are ways that can be, you know, things that can be focused on and improved that go back toward that root cause. Well, you know, the other thing that that pops up quite often is how are you mining your current customers for expanded opportunities? How do you, you know, what are, what are they feeding to your your competition? Can you do better? Can you take on some of that? Because they're already a known quantity. They're already a customer that is paying on time. They're profitable. They know you do good work, yep. all those kind of things. But what is your relationship with that customer to, to, to kind of take more of that 
you know, money share out of, out of, out of whatever's maybe going somewhere else, or perhaps they're thinking about expanding into a new product line or something else and say, Hey, we've got capabilities to do this. Right. And that would match up per- perfectly with what we're doing or expanding or, or trying to do. So really understanding the strategic plan of your customers to yep. see how you can, you can build that. And, and now you've got, you know, even more potential revenue growth without having to maybe do a whole new proposal with a company that may or may not know anything about you. So you know, some of those things are, are often on the weaker side. Of course, the flip side to that is concentration risk. And so Absolutely. if you concentrate too much on expanding in current mm-hmm. customers and not going after new ones, then you've got a problem. And so that's why many sales right. teams split between, you know, the, the kind of outside sales rep getting new business versus an account manager cultivating the existing business. So they almost bifurcate it to make sure that everyone focuses on what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Right. So, you know, we, we, so with that said, you know, what are some things that, you know, some manufacturers can, can do to, you know, what are some steps they can take kind of to, to start moving down this road of improving their sales team? So let's go to what's worked on the manufacturing side. First, we're going to benchmark. We're going to figure out where we stand. And with a sales team, that may feel hard to do, but it doesn't need to be. We can use some tools, an empirically accurate, scientifically based you know, um, um, sales evaluation tool that's actually built on, on working with millions of salespeople. So it's solid data. And, and something like that has a number of, it, it, it's got a number of embedded opportunities. First, there's obviously the opportunity to evaluate each person individually, and that means the sales leaders or VPs, the sales managers, the sales reps, inside salespeople, even customer service. That's an overlooked sales function in many manufacturers. Um, often technical sales, sales engineers are, are another piece of it. And the marketing department. I mean, in a world where buyers are 70% of the way through their buying journey before they want to talk to a sales rep, marketing has to help sell. So we look at each of them individually, strengths and weaknesses, opportunities for training, um, see if everyone's in the right roles, um, give guidance to managers on how to best um, coach people. We can also, with that same tool, though, look at the company systems and processes and understand, is the sales process clear? Is it followed by everybody? Um, and, and, and various aspects like that of the company process. And it's really important, I think, to do all of this in the context of their market. If, if a company is an MRO supplier of fasteners, that's a very different sort of an environment than if they're building million-dollar capital equipment that a company, a typical prospect company, will buy once every 10 years. Two very different kinds of sales transactions. And so you have to have a different scope of what you understand to represent the ideal salesperson in that case. Um, and it's got to be a, an accurate tool. I've, I've seen some that are, um, you know, relatively inaccurate and others which are, you know, as much as 91% accurate and predictive. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the interesting thing then is when you talk about some of those problems that we talked about with the sales team is if you can take this insight, this measurement, this data and overlay it on top of what you saw of the problems, then you can start to get to the root causes. So if it's discounting at the end of the deal, it's probably not because they're weak in negotiation. It's probably because they haven't established value early in the process. It's probably because they haven't understood the competitive pressures and how the decision is going to be made and all those other things that go into it. And so when you can get to that root cause, then you can, you know, just like in manufacturing, you can create a remediation plan, 
You can create the sales equivalent of fixtures that will make sure that people do the same things the same way every time with training and coaching. You can even figure out some people may be better in a technical sales role or in an outside sales role, for instance. And so you can help slap people into the roles where they'll be happier and more successful and, and contribute more to the success of the company. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's what's interesting when you start talking about processes and, and things like that is, you know, what made a company successful early on in their journey starting out may not be what will make you successful um, as, you know, technology changes, times change, uh, people change, needs change, all, all of those kind of things. And so, you know, oftentimes when we're helping to evaluate processes through finance operations, whatever we're doing, um, you know, you hear a lot of what well, we've, we've always, we've just always done it this way. So, you know, before we ever suggest changes, we say, okay, let's find out, is there a reason we do it this way? Is there a good, solid reason? And, and if there is, then we say, okay, well, maybe we can incorporate, but if the reason is, well, we're just doing it because we've done, done it this way for 30 years. Okay. Well, that, that's, that's open, that's open game for doing something different, you know? So it it's mind really the story of the mother and the daughter-in-law about cutting the legs off the turkey every year at Thanksgiving and nobody knows why it happens. And you go back three generations, you found they had a smaller roasting pan at one point and they had to cut the <laughs> legs off. And that was just the way it's done every Thanksgiving. Right, right. No, I love it. It's a great family tradition, I guess, but you know, uh, you know, no, no practical reason for it. So why add the extra steps or right. the confusion or whatever might be happening? So, you know, but so, so we've talked about processes and we've talked about, you know, how to evaluate and things like that, but what about having the right people on the team and in the hiring process and looking at that, how, how does that fit into, this evaluation of things. Obviously, on one hand, you know, you you never like to go into process and and say, hey, we might be getting rid of people. But on the other hand, you got to evaluate and say, is this, do we have the right talent? Or maybe we need another piece to supplement. But how talk about the hiring process and considerations there as well. Yeah. So if you optimize your current team, then you've got a good sense of what gaps you have. You've got a sense of what potential you have for growth if you simply get the right training and right coaching and get the processes in place for the current team. But if nothing else, there's retirements, there's people with spouses that move and they have to move with them and they, they have to change jobs. And, and there are people that simply can't perform and they have to be replaced. So then we have to have a good solution for how we're, we're going to recruit and hire. And I mean, the, the, the non-performance issue is one that's uncomfortable to talk about. But you mentioned earlier accountability. Accountability is a huge piece of making this work. And the reality is that across industries, the prediction is that this year only 68% of reps are actually, no, I said that backwards. I think only 32% of reps are going to hit quota. 68% are going to miss quota this year. That's a huge number when you think about it. And, and in a long sell cycle, okay, you understand there's some, some variation from year to year in capital equipment cycles, and that kind of stuff. But when 70% of your reps are missing quota, you've got a lot of very uncomfortable conversations with investors and bankers and all those kinds of folks. So we've got to do it better. The problem is the tools that we often use for doing it aren't as accurate as we think they are. Resumes and traditional interviews are each only somewhere 18 to 20% roughly actually predictive of sales success. And so when we make hiring decisions based on that and kind of look at documents 
believe what they say, fall in love with the candidate, have a good conversation. They went to our college. They're from our neighborhood. They have the same hobbies, whatever the case may be. We end up hiring people that often won't perform. And hiring mistakes are expensive, especially when you got long sales cycles. I mean, a hiring mistake will, will cost several hundred thousand dollars. If you're paying a rep a hundred grand a year, you've got a ramp up time. By the time you realize it's not working, and make a decision, then you've got the time to find somebody else and ramp them up. You've got a territory that lies fallow. So it's much more expensive than we tend to think of it. What's the answer? In my experience, the answer is to treat recruiting like you do business prospecting. You have to recruit continuously, just like you would prospect for business. But the way companies traditionally recruit and interview is so labor intensive and so problematic that people don't wanna do that. So we gotta have, again, a good process for doing this. And the process, you know, it's, it involves a number of steps. I would say key ones. Number one, a great job posting. Too many companies write up a job description that's just a, you know, a boring recitation of the activities and they post that on the internet hoping that it's going to excite somebody. No, write a job posting. Describe the ideal person so that the, the right person who's going to fit gets excited when they see it and they know that that's the job for them and they reach out. Secondly, use a sales candidate assessment. Not a personality or behavioral assessment that are typically only about 22% predictive, but a sales candidate assessment that will determine with a high degree of accuracy and, and, and statistical validity who not only can sell, but who will sell. And if you do that, you do it early in the process, you're complying with EEOC and you're only spending time on those who will actually produce in the end. So then you're looking for culture fit and other things. It's important to do a quick phone screening. You filter out a lot of people that way. And then an effective interview. And, and it's really important to use insights that come from that assessment so that you ask the really probing and important questions during that interview to, to really get a good sense of whether the person is the right person. Then, of course, proper reference checks and appropriate documents and solid mm -hmm. expectations for people. And that means onboarding, you know, not just getting somebody their health insurance form and and, and right. laptop, but 12 to 16 weeks of cultural and product and sales training. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's definitely a process. That, that one more thing I'd, I'd, I'd suggest is that companies often tend to fill sales manager roles by hiring the best rep. Take the best rep, bump them into a sales manager role. And that's often a mistake. It's really important to assess this, an internal candidate for that sales management role because if you make a mistake there, you've got two problems. Number one, you've taken that, that production off the street. They're not selling anymore. They're sales managing. And number two, when you've given them that role, often ego means you can't unwind that. And if you've made a mistake, then you can't really replace them with somebody that's going to be a sales manager without losing them from the company. So it's a, that's a costly mistake to make. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And we usually look at it as, you know, when you've got a person that, you know, would dealing with turnover, especially the higher the level, you're, you're dealing with at least a year's worth of salary in terms of right. cost. Right. And then, you know, if you add on top of that, like you said, lost opportunities um, and other factors, you could be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars on a bad, on a potentially bad hire. So that's a super important, um, you know, thing to think about going through and making sure. And, and, and you're right. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a too quick of a decision. Uh, to, to, you find somebody, uh, you like them, right. seem to have a good track record, bring them in, you know, and then next thing you know, you're, you're struggling with that person. So right. I totally agree with you there. 
you know, last thing I want to talk about just a bit before we wrap up here is just, you know, we, you talked about coaching before and you've mentioned training a couple of times, maybe, you know, talk about, you know, the importance of that in this, in this process. Yeah. I, I, I like to use the analogy of professional athletes, you know, people at the pinnacle of their craft that still have coaches for every aspect of what they do, you know, regardless of the sport, somehow we've got this idea that we can hire salespeople and often just bring them in with whatever experience they have and consider that to be adequately trained as aside right. from some product familiarity. And that really misses. Um, so, so sales training and coaching needs to address sales process. It needs to address methodology. You have to have a clear pipeline. So pipeline reviews against the qualification scorecard, um, salespeople need to evolve and be coached differently. You mentioned earlier how times change buyers and markets evolve. Um, you know, people need consistent training. It's not just that first week when they join a company, but these lessons have to be reinforced and we have to actually measure after somebody's trained to make sure that the impact of training is there. And of course, if we have these predictive tools and accurate tools, we can do that. Um, it's not just on product. It's got to be on sales skills, tactical skills, strategic skills, target account management skills, all those kinds of things. And, and coaching really needs to be every day, even for superb reps. In fact, less qualified reps will often resent it, whereas superb reps will embrace it. You know, nobody likes the criticism in the moment, but good people like getting better. And so having, having the opportunity to brainstorm tough situations, to plan before calls, to role play what went well and what didn't go well, to do an after action review, to say, okay, I screwed that up this time. Let me process it and let me make sure I got it. So, so next time I don't. So I think right. that um, consistent coaching is important. What I know from looking at a lot of those benchmarking evaluations of industrial manufacturers is that coaching typically only happens, number one, as needed, which means relatively infrequently. And number two, it focuses almost exclusively on the topics of pricing and technical details of the product. So in other words, hey, you know, uh, help me figure out what's the right design or right solution for this and how much should we sell it for? And that completely misses, do you know who the buyers are in the buying team? Do you know how they're gonna make the decision? Do you know how much is in their budget? How do they set the budget? What if it's not high enough? All of those kinds of things that are really part of coaching and, and, and pipeline review and qualification that can be done with, with, with role plays and planning end up missed. So it's a great opportunity. If companies only implemented that piece with good sales managers, in many cases, they'd see a huge improvement in performance. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's a great point. And it's something that, you know, I know even our own business, we're, we're constantly working on our coaching and processes because yeah. And you're, and you, I think you had it right on the head. Good people want to get better. They, yeah. Your great ones want to get better. They want to do better. They're going to take it. And yeah, the ones that are low performers often just want to come in, check a box and, and go and don't want that feedback. So, you know, that alone is an indicator of, okay, well, you know, let, let's see. So, you know, this, this has been a fantastic conversation, a lot of information actually in here. So um, the good thing is we, we usually turn this into a, an article as well and kind of send that out because just because there's so many points that you covered. And, you know, I think the bottom line is, you know, you got to treat the sales department like every other department and work on the processes, work on the people, work on the functionality of it. So that way you can build from, you know, being a good team, maybe to a great team. So 
So Ed, I, I, I appreciate your all your feedback and uh, all your input on this and helping our, our manufacturers uh, to, to think about how they can improve and and uh, certainly looking forward to having you on some some future shows because we've got a lot more topics to cover in this area. So Ed, thank you for, for being on today. Well, thank you, Mike. I look forward to future conversations. I've enjoyed this conversation. I really respect the way you and Kevin and the team take this approach where you understand that 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 financial success and value creation for manufacturers is about more than just, you know, the, the double entry accounting. There's a lot that goes into it. And, and you bringing this value to people, I think, is wonderful. So thanks for including me. Absolutely. And thank you. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And as always, if you have questions or feedback, uh, you reach out to us. You can always reach out to Ed as well on, on the sales questions. And I uh, hope everyone has a great rest of your day. To learn more about James Moore and Company's manufacturing services, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our More on Manufacturing series to receive updates when new videos and podcasts are released. If you'd like to be a guest, or if there's a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, contact us on our website. You can also follow us on social media for more news as the landscape on manufacturing continues to rapidly evolve.